Welcome, loyal listeners, to another little bit of an extra. This week, we have brought back, uh, I think it's fair to say, friend of the show at this point, Mr. (laughs) Fred Kennedy, uh, because he has put together one of the most awesome things I've heard in a long time in Mud 79. You've heard me pick it as one of my geek picks on the previous episode of the show. And luckily, Fred had some time to uh, talk to us about it and hopefully about its creation a little bit and maybe where it's going. So first off, Fred, thank you for taking time out of your busy day to speak with us. No problem, man. I love talking about Star Wars, so I'm always good to go. Yeah, so before we get going, uh, I love your introductions because it very much fits how I am as a Star Wars fan. Of You, you mentioned in every episode that... Star Wars to you is kind of like pizza. Even when it's not particularly great, it's still pretty good. Oh, yeah. I I don't understand the anger that Star Wars elicits. And what frustrates me the most about it is whenever you say, I don't get the anger, people are like, well, clearly it doesn't matter to you enough. And it's like, no, it matters to me so much that I love it unconditionally. (laughs) You know, yeah, that's how much it matters to me. I, I'm very much in a similar boat. Uh, like uh, our listeners will know that because I've told the story a couple times that Star Wars pretty much changed probably the trajectory of my life a little bit. Because I saw uh, when I was young, I want to say three or four. My mom went out of town with my sister, and my dad rented a laserdisc player, and he rented. Uh, M- Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Raiders of the Lost Ark, and Superman. Like the, the original Christopher Reeve Superman. And to this day, my favorite movies of all time. <laughs> Yo, uh, like it's fantastic. Yeah. So let, let's get into the meat of Mud 79. Uh, you kind of mentioned little details here and there in your introductions. How long have you had the story in your head for? Uh... A long time. Um, I actually, I did a, a post on Imgur about it. There's this photo or like a painting uh, by this one Spanish artist. And it's got like uh, a scout trooper that's sort of like slouched against a tree. And he's holding his like sniper rifle in front of him. And he's got uh, monoculars. And he's sort of like, like, it looks like he just pulled them away. And he's all muddy and it's raining and he's in a swamp. And I had this image of that guy like i built a story around that one image where he's like this scout trooper um after the battle of endor on another planet and it's akin to i envision the fall of the empire to be something similar to the collapse of the eastern front in the second world war um where the Empire has done a lot of heinous things to a lot of people, but it's also been really good to other people. And then when the rebels come in, 
I don't in any way believe that the rebels are this nonstop, ultimately benevolent force. I think they're just another force and they're rolling in like thunder. And if you capitulated to the empire, you get punished. And if you resisted them to the end, you get rewarded. And I don't think that that's anything other than human nature. And I, that is my, was always like the, that was the root the seed of the mud 79 story. And it kind of evolved after a while. Um, I really, I took a lot of not notes, but there is definitely some influence of the show rebels in there as well. Mm. Um, and I, I'm, I'm really rambling here, but if you're asking me to like build the story where it all came from, this is the process that my brain went through. Uh, and then it was a few years ago. Um, it was actually, I do every year I do this 24 hour walk for wishes for the children's wish foundation where I just walk for 24 hours. Um, and during that time I was on a treadmill during the late night at one point and you just want to put something on that's going to eat up time. That's interesting and keep you mentally like engaged. And I put on that, uh, Ken Burns documentary series, the Vietnam war. Oh, it's so good. And, oh, it's, it's at, what's incredible about it is they don't take any sides. They never say, this side was right and this side was wrong. Because when you look at the Vietnam War, there's more than enough villainy and heinous behavior to go around to everybody. Yeah, It was just a horrible situation. One thing that really struck me was you have particularly the guys that volunteered to fight. Because like the majority of the people that went there volunteered to go. They didn't know what they were getting into, but they were volunteers. And they're consistently telling these same stories where well, my father fought in the Second World War, and the friends that he made from his soldier buddies were still his best friends. My older cousins went and fought in Korea. Uh, one of my older brothers or siblings went and fought in Korea. And so this was my fight. This is what I needed to do. And so I imagined that from the outside perspective, the Empire seems bad because that's always the way it's framed in the stories. But it's impossible for the empire to have been horrible for everyone. It had to work out really good for a lot of people. And it had to offer a lot of things that the Republic wasn't like they always, if you watch the clone wars and rebels, you really not rebels, but clone wars, you really get the sense of how bloated and inefficient and bureaucratic the Republic was, which made people apt to see it fall and fall apart. Mm. Uh, they wanted efficiency. And so in the frame of Star Wars, you've got an entire generation that grew up during the Clone Wars watching propaganda about all the great things that the Republic was doing. And they had family members that went and fought because it's canon. I don't know if it's still canon, but it's definitely Legends canon um, that the vast majority of the people that fought in the Clone Wars weren't clones. Like you look at the numerics, there were only like two or three million clones made. And if you're talking, there's armies on Earth that have more people than that. Like China's active military is bigger than that. Hmm. So you have to think that the clone clones were really just fulfilling the role of the stormtroopers. They were the elite of the elite, but the majority of the people fighting would have been regular people. And so Mud 79 is sort of telling the story of 
a guy named Solomon Kwai who who he opens it up and like in the intro of the very first episode he talks about how he lost two of his older siblings who fought in the Clone Wars and then he had another family member who came home from the Clone Wars and she was just shook. She was just never the same, which is the same for a lot of people that come home from regular war. And so he took a look at his options being in this backwater farm planet, which is sort of like, you know, a, a symbol of those small town Midwestern kids that decided, well, I don't want to end up like these people trapped here and I feel obligated to do my part for the new empire. And so you get swept up in the flag waving and being a part of something. And I, and I've got, I come from a military family and I worked on military bases. I was in the military for a brief period of time in the reserves. And that mentality of wanting to belong, we often paint as being really negative and bad but it, for so many people, it gives them something, you know? I, and, and I've read a bunch of uh, memoirs of soldiers that have fought in Vietnam in the Second World War. And uh, there's a fantastic book uh, called Generation Kill, which was adapted into a series on HBO. And I would encourage everyone to read it because you've got ostensibly like a bunch of bro-y, douchey guys but you realize it's a lot more deeply rooted than that, that need to belong. Because not everybody has, like, a cadre growing up. And when you don't have that and you're given the opportunity to have that, it's really powerful. And that's what I wanted to play up in the story Mud 79. That yeah. was a long answer, buddy. I'm sorry. That's <laughs> <laughs> all right. It's and you know like even like going back to Star Wars like in the the fictional history you know but for a twist of the the fate or force depending on how you want to look at it that's where Luke ends up like he yeah. he, he talks about like he he wants to go to the academy well there's only one academy going on at that time yeah <laughs> it's, and it's it's um I I don't. The thing that I have never, since I was a, like a teenager even, uh, I remember I have a friend, Neil, who spent a long time in the military. and He's actually somebody that I go to with my ideas a lot for the story. Um, Neil, great guy. But he and I used to talk at length about how it never made sense that everyone in the Republic or the Rebellion were the best people. And everybody in the Empire was like the worst guy. Hmm. Uh, that's just very, it's, it's a very broad brush to be painting with. And the, that's what I loved about Rogue One. More than anything about Rogue One, I loved that you had a good guy who was sort of trapped into working for the Empire and his ideas of making the galaxy a better place for everyone were sort of like twisted and turned by not good people. And you had a guy uh, like Cassian Andor who the first scene with him he murders somebody like he's, <laughs> he's like, don't worry, things are going to work out. And then he murders the guy. Um, and then the, you also introduce Saw Guerrera, who appears in Rebels frequently. And I think that the Empire and Imperial characters have never been given that broad scope. And yeah. I think that there's a lot of de undoubtedly you'd have uh, 
fascist imperial supremacists, um, and they would have their own reasons for thinking that. But you're also going to have a lot of people who are loyal to the empire simply out of convenience. Um, and that's something that I think we need to see a lot more of in Star Wars. And when I mentioned um, the, the collapse of the Eastern Front in the Second World War, there's a fantastic book uh, that I actually read while beginning to put this idea together called Blood Red Snow. And it's about a German soldier, not a SS guy. Uh, he was just in the German army during the Second World War. And he's very open and honest about, well, I joined the army because if I didn't, they were going to kill my family. So yeah. I, didn't, I didn't want my family to die. So I, I joined the army. And he's consistently hammering down that I wasn't in the SS. I was, I was in the army. And he repeatedly talks about how much the army hated the SS. And he has a story about they were going to fight on the front lines. And when you were off the front lines, you stayed in these villages in, in Ukraine, filled with Ukrainian people. And their officers were very harsh to them being like, you treat these people well, because they're the ones that are giving you food and shelter and keeping your clothes clean. So you treat them with respect. And then they got called to the front line for their shift on the front. And when they were on the front, the SS came through the town and they did all the heinous things that you associate with the SS. And when they came back to the village, they were really upset at what had happened to these people that they had gotten to know as human beings. And they allowed a platoon of SS infantry to be ambushed by simply withholding intelligence of resistance work going on in the area. And that little anecdote in the story really showed me that it, they were, everybody was just human. Hmm. I, I, I often think of like the, in, in terms of that sort of stuff is the, you always see when the, the two sides like of soldiers meet up when they're much older it's kind of the old hatreds are gone because they realize that like oh well that guy was just in the same shit i was in just a different name uh yeah the my grandfather both my grandfathers fought in the second world war and i'll always remember my grandfather uh when he'd be into his cups and something about because he was in the navy and he always used to say used to say once you're in the water you're just somebody's son is always something that he'd say, like, mm. and that was that analogy of once you're in the water, you got to get them out. Like, that's just how you, you don't leave people alone in the water because that could happen to you, you know? Yeah. So, and so with mud, that's the, there, I don't want to give anything away. There's that, I, I want to humanize the empire yeah. in the story. And, uh, and I'm like, I'm trying to, be vague about the story points because uh, as I've emailed you privately, my wife and I are, are loving it. Like it's a, to the point of want to get into a long car ride so we can listen to a couple episodes in a row. The <laughs> frustrating thing is it, it takes a long time to do. And, and I'm not as far ahead as where I would like to be. I am current episode five is done. And will be released on uh, Tuesday. Episode six is about a quarter of the way done, 
and will be released two weeks after that. And the, the release schedule is something that I'm, I'm, I'm making my producer, Dila, very mad. I'm making her frustrated because <laughs> what ends up happening is, is I'm my everyone's life is kind of in flux right now. Yeah. And I, I my kids aren't in school. And when my kids are in school, I can take the go train to work. And then I have about two hours a day to write and I don't have that opportunity now. So I'm, I'm like, I'm missing deadlines. And it's, it's not that I'm missing deadlines and like sitting around watching TV and be like, Oh, I'll work on it later. It's, there's just so many hours in the day <laughs> that I can work on it. I'm, Cause I don't want to be that dad who never, you know, hangs out with his kids. I, when mm. I'm home, I want to spend time with them after they go to bed I'll watch a show with my wife and then I'll work on it after she goes to bed. So yeah, that's, that's the biggest hang up right now is just time. So let's talk about the, the process of what made you decide because you have these story elements together. What was the decision to just, you know, do it on your own as like an audio play? Two reasons. Number one, people are a lot more likely to listen to something they're on the fence about than read something they're on the fence about. Uh, and number two was I, I write indie comics and I've had comics implode because not everybody can get on the same page. And it can be very frustrating when you move forward on things and paperwork is all lined up everything's coming together and then one person on the team can't do it for one reason or another and i can't draw so if i'm working with an artist or something and that falls through i'm back to square one with this i can do it all myself like i produce the whole thing like it's it's i get some other people to do voices but the voice work is very sparse. There's really only each character really only has like two or three lines per episode. Mm. The rest is me. So it's an opportunity for me to be able to do something and not have other people uh, in, not interfere with it. It's, it's so that I'm not beholden to anybody else. You know what I mean? Yeah. I'm doing it on my own. And I've also had like editors in the comic book community that I would have to harass to read anything, email me about it, asking if they can be involved. And it's like, this is a big turn of events. So it's pretty rad. And I, I'm, I'm really enjoying that aspect of it. And I think it sounds really good is the thing that I'm enjoying doing the most. It, it's one thing to write it and then have people be like, oh, I, I'm trying to figure out what it would be like, but then you produce it and you put all those sounds on it and it's awesome. Yeah, I, I think the the biggest compliment that I can pay you is that for me, it feels like Star Wars. Like it, it, <laughs> it, it it's that's how I always I sort of put stuff in. Like it, it, it feels like Star Wars. It doesn't feel like something that is being shoehorned into star Wars or that it's, you know, some other idea that you had and just decided to put like a lightsaber and a blaster in it. And lo and behold, I have a star Wars story. Now it feels it, it has, even though it's something I haven't heard in the star Wars universe before or, or very, 
not many times with that kind of idea, it still feels like a Star Wars story. Thanks, man. That's like, that is a legitimately fantastic compliment, especially given there's some people that have, uh, been like, dude, there's no swearing in Star Wars. <laughs> that's what that, that's happened from a few people. Uh, they don't like the swearing. And, and I wrote the story with, uh, with some of the nerf herder and poodoo and all that stuff, but it didn't feel right. Um, the it, it I I really like was trying to create platoon meets Star Wars and I'm sorry man Willem Dafoe does not say Banta Poodoo. <laughs> Although I kind of wish he would. <laughs> there are times, absolutely, yeah. But yeah, I think uh, the the swearing and stuff and and I wanted to have like a real I don't know a real blue collar. Star Wars story. Yeah. I'm not every, I think that's what makes Mandalorian so great is the stakes are low. Like in the episode where he meets Cara Dune and they fight one mangled ATST Walker. It is just as epic as the rebels blowing up the death star at Yavin four, you Mm -hmm. know? So those are the stakes that I want. And, and for anybody that hasn't listened as of yet, the only thing they've encountered is other enemy infantry and rebel, not even rebel, because at this point they call them, they're calling them secessionists is one of the terms that they still use. Yeah. Because the planet they're on, Sestin 4, uh, has, it's just kind of fallen under imperial rule and there's just sort of a changing of the guard from uh, republic, uh, you know, not what's the term militia to full on imperial control, you know, mm. and I and making them mud troopers instead of storm troopers was a big deal, dude. There's what's amazing is how many uh, video documentaries just Star Wars fans have created about the implementation of uh, storm troopers and mud troopers following the end of the Clone Wars. It's really interesting and. Uh, some of those elements of the Empire using mud troopers as another means of controlling the trajectory of the Empire will come into play as the story develops. So do you already have the end kind of in your head? Like, you know where yeah. the story is going all the way through? Yeah, I've uh, I've got a... F- so I wanted to do a three-act story, uh, each act being six chapters, but the problem with that sort of role edit is I was thinking written um, and I had like I'm a big Dan Harmon fan. So I love uh, like uh, hardcore history and he always does these um, three hour episodes. And I sort of floated that idea with my producer and she was very blunt, like, nope. <laughs> so uh, the each chapter is two episodes, which has caused some confusion. So. Because uh, when I write out the chapter, it's about 30 pages. And then when you produce it, uh, it works out to each episode being about 45 minutes. So it's like an hour and a half, and that's just not going to fly. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, uh, I I know where I'm going. And the first act is very broken out and polished and everything. Uh, the second act, uh, I'm kind of debating going in one of two different directions but the third act i know how it's it's going to end and i will say that 
it's not going to end well. Like uh, I, I wrote, I kind of, in the first draft of it, I kind of gave away uh, the, the ending of it in the very first few paragraphs of the book. Um, but I, I kind of changed that. And the initial idea was that the main character was going to die uh, and it was going to be taken over by different members of the platoon, sort of in a way the fantasy novel The Black Company worked. Um, but then I decided that I didn't really want to do that. Um, I wanted to stick with the main character and just sort of follow them. And he wrote it out like um, it was very cynical. The opening was very, very cynical um, as it, he's a guy that volunteered to fight for the Empire for the best of reasons. Uh, and now he's writing it in the in the new trilogy era. And it's like 35, 40 years later. And it is sort of of my father's generation of guys that joined the military. And my dad is friends with a lot of American military guys, just by nature of some of the things he did when he was starting out in the military. And a lot of these guys were Vietnam vets and they went over there with these like big dreams and goals and aspirations, but they've, they've, they saw what they were doing was wrong and, and what they were, what was going on there was wrong. And then they come back knowing that what it was, was wrong and they're being vilified for it, for things that weren't necessarily anything they could control. And it creates a cynicism and uh, a, a whole idea of it's all bullshit, you know, like everything is bullshit. Um, and so when I wrote the intro, he sort of talked about how I realize what I'm telling you is going to be contradictory to the propaganda you've been fed by the new Republic, but I'm telling you everything I say is true. And I kind of changed that because it didn't, it was kind of bouncing around with the tone a bit. So mm. I went, I shifted gears and put it into the more, I make you sympathetic why he joins the empire right off the bat. You know, the first 10, 15 minutes are him being like, this is why I joined the army. This is it right here. So, so uh, just two more questions before we let you go tonight. Um, and they're a little bit on the silly side, but I'm curious. Uh, one of the things due to my work at uh, Fan Expo and Comic-Cons over the years that I was able to, to pick out pretty quickly is uh, certain members of your voice cast. Are are <laughs> yeah. from the the local uh, comic book community and a little bit beyond too. Is there somebody's performance you were a little surprised at how good they were? <laughs> Not to um, throw anybody else under the bus, but uh, the guy because all right for anybody who hasn't listened yet, uh, one of the main characters in the in the play or the story is the lieutenant of Platoon seventy nine, who is a clone. And he was a clone trooper, and he fought at some battles that were clearly depicted in episodes of The Clone Wars. So maybe he's there. Um, but the guy who voices him, because I wanted somebody who had a New Zealand accent, and I reached out to some broadcasters I know that live in New Zealand. And uh, one of my friends who actually went backpacking in New Zealand for her honeymoon said, the guy who was our guide and scuba instructor he has an unbelievable voice. 
And so I just reached out to him and he has never acted. He's never done any professional voice work, but I think he's thoroughly shockingly great. Mm. Um, he does a fantastic job. Uh, Heather Antos, uh, editor at Valiant. She blew me away with her lines and she's only had a few lines thus far, but her and Andrew Wheeler are going to be much bigger players as the story develops. Um, uh, Mike Walsh uh, was really good. My, one thing Mike Walsh does that not everybody does is he gives me lots of takes. Uh, so <laughs> there's always, I've never had to go back to get him to do more work. He's been really good. Uh, but yeah, everyone's really done a good job. And, and I know that, there are times where somebody could be like, oh, I don't know if this is as pro as it should be. Uh, it would be better if, if it was this. And it's like, absolutely. There's really only one professional voiceover person on there. And that's uh, Marilla Wex, who plays one of the platoon, one of the squad sergeants. And she's British and she's phenomenal. And I met her through my work at Teletoon. Oh, okay. Uh, there's so many. Everyone's really done a great job. Um uh, no, they they all have. I was just wondering if there was somebody that sort of surprised you. Yeah, you it would like, really be uh, Ben McEwen is his name. The guy who voices Orto was the most surprising because it's such a big role and it was so important that it he do it well. And mm -hmm. as soon as I got that tape, I was – it's sort of like when you're working on a comic book with somebody you've never worked on and you're just waiting for that first page. And then when it comes in, you're just like there's a sense of – Oh, thank God. <laughs> That's really what it was like for me. It was it, He really impressed me. I was very impressed. Cool. So last question, uh, sticking with Star Wars. Uh, outside of the, uh, the original trilogy and the, the prequels and your own work now, what is your favorite Star Wars? Because everybody uh, always answers Empire and stuff, so I like to disqualify those right off the bat. You know, it's interesting. Um, of course, I would say Empire because it's the one I grew up on. Yeah. Uh, but I really feel like Rogue One got me back into Star Wars on the level that I hadn't been in decades. Uh, I, I, I'm. It's it's cliche to say I was let down by the prequels and and. I was, and it was cool to see Jedi being crazy and over-the-top and amazing. Uh, but more so than even Rogue One, I think Rebels really just hit it out of the park for me. Mm. Um, I think Rebels is some of the most Star Wars, Star Wars you've ever seen. The arc with Ezra and Kanan. And everybody involved, like it's just a fantastic story, and and again, it's a story that really shows the humanistic aspects of the Empire, uh, like with with Callus. I mean, I don't want to ruin anything, but like you really get a sense of why everyone's involved in yeah. the Empire in that show, and I think that more so than Clone Wars, like Clone Wars was cool. But Clone Wars was coming in with all the toys. They had established characters that you knew about. They were dealing with, with sequences and situations that we were all familiar with. Rebels came in with nobody 
nobody knowing anyone involved uh, in an era that had never been explored, uh, but just did so much with it, you know? And they did more in four seasons than Clone Wars did with even its extra half-seventh season. I would say, I would argue that Rebels is a vastly superior show to Clone Wars, and anything they do to sort of like bump up Clone Wars now, they're really just borrowing from momentum that Rebels, Rebels gave cre- them. Yeah. The the thing I love about Rebels is how, uh, and again, not to give too much away from it, is how even the stuff that you thought were one-offs and didn't really matter ended up mattering in the end. Like yeah. the, the episode oh. with the space whales. I'm like, uh, that was an okay episode, but why the hell did we bother with this in some ways? Well, oh, I totally stole Pergales from that episode. And <laughs> yeah, I was very happy to hear yeah. that, actually. <laughs> yeah. But by and, the end, I think that that, like, because uh, when you take a look at the Star Wars universe, it's just, oh, man, it's it's wild how big and varied the the Empire was. And so what seems like mythic and barely plausible to some people in the Star Wars universe would be commonplace to other parts, you know? Mm. It's like if I it's like if, if I love pizza, okay? I love pizza. Pizza's everywhere here, you know? If I go to Cairo, are there going to be a lot of pizza places? No. There's not going to be a lot of pizza places. I mean, maybe Cairo is a bad example because it's like a kind of a tourist hotspot. But you get what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, depending on where you go in the world, other things are more common than others, you know? Yeah. Well, it's the same with the explanation of, like, why in Rebels and in The Mandalorian is like, well, why aren't everybody talking about Jedi? And why is it like, because, you know, there there was only really a handful of them, like a hundred, maybe two. And there, I the think galaxy is ten thousand. I think in to- in order, like in total, there's ten thousand. Oh, really? But you're dealing okay. with trillion. You're dealing with trillions, trillions of, of people, and they like, didn't get everywhere. The- no. <laughs> so think about just on Earth. If there's ten thousand Jedi on Earth, what are the odds of you running into one? Exactly. Pretty pretty slim. So now imagine it's trillions of people on tens of thousands of planets and across the entire galaxy there's 10,000 now yeah and then you throw in the fact that these these guys do magic yeah (laughs) you know it's like just think about if i came up to you and like i saw a purple person fred and you're like uh okay maybe and you know what Uh, he could jump ten thousand feet in the air and he could yeah yeah at some point you're going to tell me that i'm bullshitting you and walk away hundred percent so i i wanted to play with those elements of Mm. the star wars universe you you've done a great job fred and like i have I have promoted the show on our podcast before, and but just uh, so our listeners know, where can they find all the episodes of Mud Seventy Nine? Um, it's on my podcast. Just look for issue zero, and it'll all turn up. Thanks very much for sitting down, Fred. Uh, like I said, I've been digging this a lot, and I, I look forward to the next batch of episodes. 
Well, thank you, buddy. I was literally just working on it before we got on the phone. All right. Set your phasers to sexy. Thank you for listening to the True North Nerds. You can find us at truenorthnerds.com or on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at True North Nerds. To contact one or any of the nerds, you can email them at truenorthnerds at gmail.com. Theme music provided by Kirby Crackle. You can find more of their music at kirbycracklemusic.com. If you like this show, please go to your podcast app of choice and rate and review us. Set your 